Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Why don't you come and take a seat? Good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, if you're joining us online, right there, uh, welcome. We love having you uh, worship with us. Well, a couple of years ago, I watched a documentary called Free Solo. Now, has anyone seen that? Or has anyone gone bouldering or rock climbing? Okay, one person. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, Obi. Well, the documentary follows uh, an American rock climber by the name of Alex Honnold. Uh, that's him, right? And Alex is the first person to, in the world to free solo um, El Capitan in the Yosemite National Park. Now, free solo meaning climbing without any harnesses or, or safety ropes, right? So one small slip, a one false move, and it's, it's over. That's, that's it. Now, if you've ever been to Yosemite National Park and you stand at the bottom of El Capitan and you look up, the cliff face is enormous, about 884 meters high, a climber's dream. Now, have I been there? No. Um, have I seen photos? Yes. To put it into perspective, it's, it's a little taller than the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa. It's about three Empire State buildings high. It is massive. Just think about it. One slip, one false move. That's your life done. Now, why would anyone do that? I have no idea. <laughs> and, and every time I think about it, or every time I watch it, my hands just start sweating like crazy. And um, spoiler alert, he actually makes it up to the top, so he's fine. And even though I know that, my hands just keep sweating. But what's interesting is he actually attempted this a year prior. And if you watch the documentary, he says he got to a point halfway through the climb and something just clicked in his mind and he just got scared. And so he had to pull out of that climb. Now imagine that. Imagine getting halfway up 850 meter cliff without any ropes and saying, okay, I'm scared. It's probably not the best place or moment to, to have that thought. And so he waits a whole year. He waits for the perfect climbing conditions, right? Because any change in weather, it's life or death for him. I bring this example up because to give it another go, it requires a level of courage and perseverance that not many people hold. Alex's perseverance led him to become the first person to free solo El Capitan, something that's never been done before. For all my K-pop loving brothers and sisters out there, I know you're out there, um, who love BTS and Blackpink. Um, <laughs> I think the alcohol hasn't worn off yet, eh? <laughs> uh, there are stories of these K-pop idols training for years and years, some up to 10 years to become um, K-pop idols. A lot of these young 17, 18, 19-year-olds, um, they're thrown into a full-on working week that's filled with exercise, English lessons, rap lessons, dance lessons, singing lessons. You know, these kids persevere through grueling training periods of up to years because they know what's on the other side. They persevere through the pain to reach their goal of becoming a pop star. Now, as we've just seen with these examples of perseverance and courage, 
Our walk with the Lord similarly requires us to be bold, courageous, and persevering. Because we know what's on the other side. Perseverance, as we'll find out today, helps us to remember that, that God is in complete control. Last week, Pastor Steve showed us in Acts 20 that Paul knew exactly who he was. He knew his purpose and he knew his mission. And the challenge last week was for us to know what we are living for. Acts 20 finishes with Paul saying his goodbyes to the church in Ephesus on his final leg to Jerusalem. So today we continue that journey of the Apostle Paul through chapters 21 to 23, where we'll see what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The scene that is set before us in chapter 21 is of Paul beginning this journey to Jerusalem. And it's interesting because on his journey to Jerusalem, he stops over two cities and spends time there with some believers. And at both cities, it says that the believers knew through the Spirit that Paul will be persecuted and possibly killed. And that warning sets us up to see that in order to follow Jesus, we have to persevere through some things. In one of those cities, we're introduced to a prophet named Agabus, who early in Acts predicted that, uh, that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world in Acts 11. And now he delivers a message concerning Paul's fate. Verse 10 of chapter 21. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So this prophet named Agabus, he travels down from Judea. He sees the apostle Paul. He takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you if you continue your journey into Jerusalem. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't deny or shrink back from that from what's going to take place, but it actually reinforces what the Spirit had told him just a chapter before, what we read last week in chapter 20, 22 to 23. It says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So Paul is warned, if you go into Jerusalem, you're going to face persecution. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so this is the first thing I want to draw our attention to this morning. Following Jesus means taking up your cross daily. That means suffering and persevering for the sake of the gospel. For Paul, it was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. It was carrying the mission of the church, carrying the message of the gospel, proclaiming the good news of a resurrected Savior. This cost Paul everything. That was Paul's cross to carry. He was so convicted of his calling that he was ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem. Despite all the warnings that Paul received from the fellow believers, he was obedient to the call of God. Paul obeyed the call of God, even though he knew it was going to cost him his life. And so for you, what is following Jesus going to cost you? For some of us, it's going to cost us friendships. Friendships that we need to lay aside for a season because they draw us away from God. 
For others, following Jesus is going to cost us opportunities to make lots and lots of money. It's choosing to become a man or a woman full of integrity, character, and honesty before our God. It's, it's going to close some doors for us. If following Jesus is going to cost you nothing, then let me challenge you. What did you give your heart to? What did you give your life to? What are you following? A religious ceremony? Moral obligations? C.S. Lewis wrote, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Following Jesus will cost you everything. You know, Pastor Steve always jokes about how if he wasn't in ministry, he would either be in jail or dead somewhere. Correct or false? Correct. <laughs> yes. You know, but I reckon if he wasn't in ministry, he would actually be uh, this guy called Manuel Manolo Arroyo, uh, this, our buddy right here. Now, who is our mate Manuel? It's a great question. He is the global chief marketing officer, director of Coca-Cola. Global, not just Australia, but global. <laughs> that's, that's Steve's boy. Um, Pastor Steve, no doubt, would have been global chief marketing officer, director of Coca-Cola. He would have made, uh, he would have had multiple real estate portfolios. He would have been living in Darling Point in a waterfront house of like $10 million. And he would have owned a couple of Maccas, 100%. <laughs> You know, he would have lived the life without God. But you know what? Pastor Steve and Mel, they, they didn't make that choice to live that way. They made the decision to follow Jesus. They made that decision to push through the noise of the world and pursue the things of God. And God has been so faithful in every step of the way, in every season, in every trial. God has been so faithful to them. You know, it reminds me of the story in Matthew 13, 44, where Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And in his joy, he sells everything. He sells everything that he has and buys that field. This man sells everything to get that treasure. In other words, all the losses, all the costs, everything. It's nothing compared to the gains of following Jesus. And so to Pastor Stephen Mel, thank you for your leadership, your hospitality, and your encouragement. Thank you for being faithful to what God has put on your hearts. You know, a lot of us, we'd be lost without your leadership and your faithfulness, and including myself. So thank you for showing us that, that to have Christ is to have everything. We pray that your marriage and your ministry would, would flourish, that it would persevere through trials and the sufferings of life. You know, the Christian life is not meant to be easy. We're called to persevere through trials and seasons. The Apostle Paul was so convicted of his calling. He was so convicted that whatever situation was to arise, even warnings to avoid Jerusalem, he was going to stay the path and persevere for the Lord. So Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem, and he is there met with open arms 
by the believers there. He meets James and the elders of the church, and they rejoice and they praise God for what's happening in the Gentiles. The last time that these leaders of the church met was to decide that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, people like you and myself, that we would not be required to be circumcised or keep any of the law of Moses to be saved. Now, like in any organization or when people gather together, there's always going to be issues that arise. And so this time, it's not a matter of circumcision, but a matter of whether Jewish Christians should abandon their Jewish way of life. So James wants Paul. Just letting you know, Paul, that uh, there have been some rumors while you're here in Jerusalem uh, about your teaching, so there might be some trouble awaiting you. And so Paul doesn't want to stir up the people, and he doesn't want to stir up the controversy, so he agrees to undergo a seven-day purification rite to satisfy some of the Jewish people. But as we'll read, he'll face persecution. He'll be assaulted, arrested, and brought to trial. Let's read uh, verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So what we're seeing is Paul, while Paul is nearing the end of his purification ceremony, he's being grabbed and beaten by, by a massive crowd of angry worshippers on a false charge that he deliberately defiled the temple's purity. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the riders saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. So what we're seeing is that some people just have no idea what's going on. And some people are just laying into Paul. And some are just joining because there's a fight. If you've ever been in that situation, you'll know what I mean. Uh, and so what we read in chapter 22 is that Paul is battered and bruised. But he gets an opportunity to address the crowd. And he's like, well, guys, guys, fathers and brothers, I'm actually like one of you. Remember, he was talking to his own people. And he says, I was zealous for God. I persecuted Christians. I was blind, but now I see and Paul goes into his testimony of how Jesus saved him and how he completely changed his life. And the whole crowd goes silent until he says in verse 29, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd goes wild, but not in a good way. They begin to raise their voices and shout. And some are taking off their cloaks because it's, it's way easier to throw like a jab-jab cross when you're not wearing a cloak. And so another scuffle breaks out. And before Paul is beaten to death, he's taken away to the prison barracks by the commander. The second thing that we need to remember is that if you follow Jesus, you will face persecution. You will face opposition. Just as we've read today and we've read last week and all throughout the book of Acts, there's danger in saying that you love Jesus. 
because it will cost you everything. One of the main underlying themes and driving forces of why the gospel spread throughout the world so fast was because Christians were persecuted. And what we learn from this passage today is that if you're a Christian, then expect some opposition, expect some persecution. In John 15, 9-20, it says, Jesus says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. We're called to persevere through persecution. And God often uses persecution and suffering to draw us closer to him, to develop a deeper communion with him. And let me encourage you, friends, that persecution for your faith is just an opportunity to show the world that there's, that there's a better treasure in abiding in God. So we get to chapter 23. It's been a day since Paul uh, has been held in prison. And the Jewish people have tried to beat and kill Paul yet again, only to be saved by the Roman commander. Now, this is the third time in about 48 hours uh, that a dispute over Paul and his beliefs have become so violent that they had to carry him away. And I just wonder at this moment, if Paul's thinking, God, where are you in all this? God, where are you? Because I know I would be questioning that. But in true timing, that only God can orchestrate. Paul gets a specific encouragement in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as I have testified, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. Two things we learn from that encouragement. Jesus comforts Paul. Jesus says, I am with you, Paul. You are not alone. Second, this is all a part of my bigger plan, Paul. The persecution, the suffering you're going through, it's all part of my bigger plan to get you to Rome where I want you to preach at the center of the known world. We all need reminders of who is in control, even the Apostle Paul. So let's continue reading in uh, verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Paul needs to persevere yet through another assassination attempt. God isn't finished with Paul just yet. And so we read that, uh, that Paul's nephew heard of this plot. We're not given details of what his name is or how he heard the plot, but he goes and tells Paul. And immediately Paul tells him to report it to the commander. Verse 22, the commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported it to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea to, at nine tonight. Provide houses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Now, just in these last couple of chapters, 
How many times has Paul been persecuted? How many times has he needed to persevere? Too many. But I don't want you to forget that through each situation Paul had to persevere through trials, God was with him. That in each situation God uses people around him, the Roman commander, his own nephew, the Roman army, to save him. We can't forget that God's fingerprints are all over this situation. That ultimately that God is the one who is sovereign. And so today I want to leave you with two things to remember when you're needing to persevere with and for Jesus. The first one is this. God's ways are not our ways. Paul tried in his own plans to calm the Jewish people by going through the Jewish purification rite, thinking that it would calm the people and appease the Jewish uh, community, which would allow him to preach at the temple. But God had a bigger plan, a plan that would give him a greater platform to reach more people. God's ways are higher than our ways because he sees the bigger picture. He sees the bigger plan. What we see in our small view is just one piece of the Lego where all the bricks are different colors, shapes, sizes, whereas God sees the whole completed thing. When we try and understand and comprehend God's ways, we can become frustrated. God's actions don't always make sense. And when we go through trials and tragedies and major life-changing moments like the loss of a loved one, a divorce, a miscarriage, we can blame God for all that's going on. I'm not saying that the pain isn't real because at that moment it stings like there's no hope. And we can go to God and demand answers for what happened, but the reality is that we won't find answers on this side of eternity. What we'll find is something even better. We'll find a promise, a promise from God saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So let me challenge you today. What are you holding on to? What are the things that God is gently nudging you to surrender and to let go? His ways are higher. His ways are better. Hold on to the truth that God is with us through every storm and trial. The second thing is this. When persevering gets tough, remember who is in control. There's a story in Luke Norworthy's book. He describes the curiosity of a new friend. Uh, whose bedroom was, using his own words, immaculate. He says at the time this seemed strange, but in hindsight and with wisdom, he saw that uh, the extremely neat and clean room was the friend's only chance to control his surroundings. This is what the author says. Upon going to his house for the first time, I was shocked by his bedroom's cleanliness. Every time I went to his house, his room was just as immaculate as an Ikea commercial. And it wasn't clean because he was forced to to clean it by his aunt or uncle. It didn't make sense to me at the time why a 13-year-old would always have such a tidy room. But it makes sense to me now. My friend had moved to live with his aunt and uncle because his mother had tragically passed away in a car accident. 
In an instant, he lost his friends, his school, his house, and most of all, his mom. Years later, I wonder if the reason he kept his room so pristine was because it was the only thing he could control. He couldn't control where he lived, who he lived with, or the school he attended, but he could control how well his bed was made, how vacuumed his floor was. He was controlling the only things he could. When you're persevering through the trials of life and through the hardships of living for and with Jesus, we need to remember that the one who saved us, the one who gave everything for us, that he is in complete control. And we can try, just like this author's friend, to control our environment and the things in our lives. But the reality is that at any moment, things can change. And we don't have the ability to control every single moment of our lives. But God is sovereign. And He is in complete control. You know, we don't understand why certain things happen. Why we lose a loved one so suddenly. Or why our relationships break down. Or why the church is so messed up. But we know that the one who holds the stars, the moons, the planets, the one who names the galaxies one by one, we know that this God is a good God. That he's working all things for the glory of his name. The God who sustains life, the one who is sustaining your life right now, he can be trusted. There is no sickness no situation, no storm, no financial hardship, no cancer, no depression, no anxiety. There is nothing that is outside the control of Almighty God. He rules and reigns forever and ever. And His kingdom will endure for all eternity. So just as we've read today, Jesus tells Paul, take courage. So today, let me remind you, when you walk out of here into your week, remember, we take courage in the truth that God is the one who is in control. Persevering with Jesus means remembering that God's ways are not our ways and that he is sovereign. So let's be the ones who run our race well, who persevere for the gospel because we know what's on the other side. Let's close our eyes in prayer.